denied. Relief for pain at the pumps. I'm sure people are just happy to get something. But why critics say the check's coming to drivers... I think we should be getting way more than that. It should be a lot bigger. Plus, unmasked in class. It wouldn't be a terrible thing, honestly, to keep the masks on until the end of the year. Growing concerns about dropping the mask requirement with students returning from spring break. Hey, buddy. And the BC goat. He's our little troublemaker. That has a unique way. He's definitely all over everything. Of horsing around. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. I'm Colleen Christie. Chris and Sophie are off tonight. If you're feeling stung by the high price of gas, there's a bit of help coming your way. ICBC is providing one-time relief checks to drivers. The politics of the move are clear, but as Paul Johnson reports, economists warn the rebate could end up backfiring. Who doesn't love an unexpected check? And what politician doesn't love making the announcement? These one-time contributions of 110 to individuals and 165 to businesses are timely to help ease some of the pressure on pocketbooks. As one of the most car-centric cultures in the world, North Americans tend to be acutely peevish about any rise in gasoline prices, and British Columbians are no exception. Pollster Steve Mossop says his research recently found half of those polled were upset about gas prices and were even more bothered about that than their grocery bill. From polling, we've always seen gas prices as been, even if it's not the number one issue in terms of real dollar impact in your household, uh, we vocalize and we talk about it as being such. Well, this is not a plan to, to address what's going on at the prices at the pump. The B.C. Liberals think the plan is underwhelming. They prefer something that would lower fuel taxes. But are any politicians right now prepared to face the root cause? So the price of gasoline, like anything, is governed by the forces of supply and demand. Now, Victoria is about to add several hundred million dollars onto the demand side. But without doing anything to the supply side of the equation, is that going to do anything to fix gas prices long term? I wonder what an economist would say. It's not going to affect the price of gasoline. UBC economist Werner Antweiler says what Victoria is doing is preferable to lowering the taxes, but he'd like to see the rebates targeted to businesses and low-income families instead of Tesla owners. And if leaders are really serious, he says they'd talk about this. We need to conserve. We should ask for some sacrifice. But go out and ask any politicians to mention the word sacrifice, you won't hear it. But if we all cooperate and make modest sacrifices. And if you're wondering why that is, just Google President Jimmy Carter, who once suggested Americans could put on a sweater instead of turning up the heat and see how that worked out for him. Paul Johnson, Global News. More tonight on a Burnaby pharmacy that had its access to Pharmacare suspended over allegations it fraudulently entered people into B.C.'s vaccine registry. Keith Baldry joins us with more on this developing story. And Keith, yesterday you touched on how the health ministry was tipped off to this. 
Yeah, it now turns out uh, all along, this doesn't come up in the public much often, very often, but it turns out we have a very sophisticated system in pharmacare in terms of tracking unusual developments within the pharmacare system. For example, an unusual number of walk-ins for vaccinations and uh, without appointments. Also, another one, people traveling, this is one I pointed out last night, people are traveling large distances, many miles to go to a pharmacy well outside their hometown. That triggers, sets off alarm bells as well, particularly when more than just a couple people do. That's an issue raised today by Health Minister Adrian Dix. What we can do, for example, is determine, for example, if a pharmacy were to have a lot of people um, getting vaccines from um, more than, say, 100 kilometers away. When you drive by, say you drive by 50 pharmacies to go to a particular pharmacy, and then a lot of people do that, that would be an unusual result. That's the kind of thing you could determine through our systems very easily. Now, Global contacted the person listed in the BC Corporate Registry as the director of that pharmacy today, but he pointed out he stopped being the manager there in 2020 and declined further comment. Not sure how long this investigation is going to go, but they remain unaccessible to Pharmacare billings as long as this investigation is underway. All right, Keith, thanks for that. And here's a look at the latest COVID-19 numbers. 260 people are in hospital right now. 50 of those patients are in the ICU. There have been two more deaths recorded due to complications of the virus. And 218 new cases have been confirmed in B.C. Two weeks to the day after the province lifted its mask requirement for public spaces, there are calls to reinstate it in some areas. Kylie Stanton tells us where the push is on for masks and what the province's health minister says about it. After two years of masking up, turns out it can be a tough habit to break. I just think it's the smart thing to do. In crowded areas, I just prefer to be safer. Just in case. And they're not alone. In the two weeks since the provincial government lifted the mask mandate in B.C., there's a growing number of calls to reinstate it. In a letter, Safe Schools Coalition B.C. is asking education stakeholders to reconsider and implement universal masking for K-12 upon students' return from spring break. It is a painless protection. We are very concerned about those who are at risk and all members of the education community. The University of Victoria is in the process of possibly taking similar steps. There's something that makes people feel safe. The school Senate has voted 23-19 in favour of bringing back an on-campus mask mandate. With the motion passed, it's now up to the President and Board of Governors for approval. So finishing off the semester as we have been used to it, um, with masks being required in all um, indoor public areas on campus. And the list goes on. TransLink's board of directors are feeling the pressure as well, with delegates voicing their concerns at a public hearing this week. Something experts say is a normal and expected response as we continue to navigate these uncertain times. Our data show that there were psychological benefits to wearing a mask in addition to public health benefits. And doing something gives us some sense of control. Of course, there's always the other side. I've been following the rules all along wearing masks and when they tell me not to, I'm going for it. And according to the Minister of Health, that's the way things will stay, at least for now. I wear a mask in indoor public spaces and I'll continue to do so. I'm the Minister of Health. I get all the information. That's good advice. We're just saying that it's not the law to do that. But there's no doubt the pushback will continue. As the saying goes, old habits die hard. Kylie Stanton, Global News. 
BC Ferries is issuing a warning as it forecasts a busier-than-usual summer season. Staff shortages could put a crimp in many travelers' plans. The ferry service is blaming a number of factors, but as Kristen Robinson reports, it all adds up to possible delays, even cancellations. BC Ferries warning travelers to brace for more frustration. A staffing crunch expected to sail into the busy summer season. If there's no ferries, then it's kind of hard to get over there, even if you have reservations. I think it would impact uh, a lot of people who have even more at stake in it than me. The province's ferry service says there could be disruptions in the months ahead, even though it's actively recruiting hundreds of employees. But there may be occasions on short notice where we do have to delay or cancel a sailing during the summer season. BC Ferries says it's had more retirements in key positions than expected. The pandemic has also exacerbated a 25-year global shortage of professional mariners, while close to 3% of its total workforce is off the job due to a mandatory vaccination policy. We do have about 150 employees on leave without pay right now. Uh, and the other issue with covid is that it's difficult to uh, attract international mariners. They're not alone. Washington State Ferries recently suspended its service between Sydney and Anacortes due to crewing challenges. We just don't have the staff within tourism and hospitality businesses to meet the demands of visitors. Labor shortages are across the board, say BC tourism officials, and businesses are advised to prepare for lower ferry service levels. Certainly if it's multiple sailings that they're forced to cancel because of a lack of staff, no doubt you'll see the impact in communities across the island as well as Metro Vancouver and beyond. We saw staff get burnt out last summer and we have less staff now than we did last summer. Try and be kind to each other. These are the workers and not the ones uh, setting the prices or, or causing the delays. The ferry union is urging patience while the company is cross-training staff, hiring back retirees and paying overtime to avoid scenes like this. Kristen Robinson, Global News. We have some breaking news for you now, a shooting in Coquitlam. You're looking at a live shot of where it happened in the 1600 block of Chickadee Place. Police say shots were fired at around 3.30 this afternoon, and when officers arrived on scene, they found one man who is known to them. He was taken to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. And a short time later, a vehicle fire was reported in the 2200 block of Hope Street in Port Moody and is believed to be connected to the shooting. And this has the indications of being targeted and connected to the Lower Mainland gang conflict. Anyone with information about this incident is asked to contact the Coquitlam RCMP. We have an update on our story about a Canadian Border Services officer and former soldier from Vancouver who's taking a huge risk to help others. He and three friends have a mission to load up three ambulances with medical supplies and drive them to Ukraine. Well, mission accomplished and the impact they're now having in just over a minute. The little cancer patient who got the thrill of a lifetime and inspired an entire NHL team. And the unusual relationship at a BC farm. Those stories later on the News Hour. As the losses from Russia's bombardment of Ukraine continue to mount, a clearer picture of the destruction is coming into focus, and there is now growing evidence of mass graves. But the U.S. believes Russian troops are no longer advancing on Kyiv and may have lost full control of the city of Kherson. Global's Dan Grummet has the latest.
Ravaged by Russian shelling, Mariupol is now a shell of itself. Video posted by the local city council shows a downed transmission tower and ruined housing blocks, a fraction of a city laid to waste. The more difficult task is assessing the damage beneath the rubble. The United Nations said Friday at least 1,035 civilians have died in Ukraine since Russia invaded a month ago, adding the real toll is likely considerably higher, particularly in Mariupol, where officials say there is growing evidence of mass graves. And we estimate that one of those mass graves holds about 200 people. As many as 300 deaths alone came from last week's bombing of a theater in Mariupol, according to local officials, where many people were reportedly sheltering in a basement. Global News cannot verify the claim, but it would make it the war's deadliest known attack on civilians yet. It's certain to fuel allegations Moscow has committed war crimes, despite repeated insistence to the contrary. On Friday, Russia admitted losses of its own, saying 1,351 soldiers have died fighting in Ukraine, much lower than NATO estimates of between 7 and 15,000. Fresh off the special NATO summit in Belgium, U.S. President Joe Biden visited American troops temporarily stationed in Poland, roughly an hour's drive from the Ukrainian border, there to deter a Russian attack. We've got 100,000 American forces here in Europe. We haven't had that in a long, long time because we are the organizing principle for the rest of the world. The U.S. and the EU announced a new joint task force designed to wean Europe off Russian energy. Poland, which has taken in more than half of Ukraine's 3.7 million refugees, said it will present a plan next week to rid itself of Russian gas. Dan Grummet, Global News. And the Canadian veterans we told you about earlier this month on a dangerous mission to deliver ambulances and medical supplies to Ukraine are now on the ground in Kyiv. And as Rumina Dea tells us, their efforts are already making a difference. At the epicenter of the killing, former Canadian soldiers and their British comrades trying to save civilians. Trauma bay, just like you would in any metropolitan hospital in Canada. The volunteers already treating civilians and soldiers in a field hospital they set up in an old storage room in Kyiv. Were individually handmade by the local population for us, quickly welded together in order to try and survive uh, with what we've got. And this is just literally foam that they've taped together. We've got some lovely staff members around to help us and provide surgical support. They're just over the moon and ecstatic that we've managed to get them this kind of equipment that they are in so desperate need of. Canadian veteran Chris Kettler, a border services officer from White Rock, part of the crew, which drove three ambulances from the UK to Ukraine. The emergency vehicles plus crucial medical supplies, either donated or paid for with donations. And we keep seeing in the news that everybody's sending all this stuff over, but where is it? I mean, all these countries are sending aid and equipment, but they haven't seen any of it. None of it's here. Kettler, who served in Afghanistan, now teaching civilians first aid and how to stay alive if they're wounded. Everywhere we've gone, it's uh, it's incredible to see that the willpower and the spirit that still remains, that's, that they're trying to have crushed out of them and they're just refusing to give up. Back in BC, Kettler's boys, too young to understand the complexities of war and why dad can't be home to play. But they do understand he's helping people. And being here on the ground, it really opened your eyes to the big picture of the world that we're not the only ones with families. 
And uh, if we can help somebody else go home to their family, uh, I mean, what's what else is the point of life? Romina Dea, Global News. We wish them safety. <clears throat> Excuse me. A woman in Nanaimo says someone tried to abduct her, and now she's telling her story. That story next. Plus, why a major upgrade to the Burrard Skytrain station has been derailed. And if you're sneezing more this spring, why climate change may be partially to blame. Traffic is steady in both directions over here tonight at the Port Van Bridge. Just east of the bridge, headed east before 152nd, there is a stall on the left shoulder. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $70 million, plus an estimated 13 Max Millions. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Port Van Bridge. Nanaimo RCMP are looking for the suspect involved in an attempted abduction. Police say a woman in her 20s was walking on Dickinson Road near Max Bennett Pioneer Park at about 7 o'clock last night when she noticed a vehicle making strange turns. Soon after, a man got out and asked her for directions. The man then swung a blunt object at her, hitting her in the head, then tried to force her into the vehicle. She fought back and ran to the closest home. The suspect followed her on foot for a short distance before driving away, heading north on Dickinson Crossing. What we have in the description is Caucasian male, 50 to 60 years old, scruffy, average height, average build, not a lot to work on, but the car was quite unique. It had Alberta plates. The front bumper on the sides were falling off. It was uh, believed to be a newer model Mitsubishi SUV, so we provided a stock photo, silver or gray. Uh, there was a display terminal inside the vehicle. The woman is recovering from non-life-threatening injuries and the trauma of the assault. If you have any relevant security footage or dash cam video, please call Nanaimo RCMP. TransLink is going back to the drawing board for its planned upgrades to the Burrard SkyTrain station. Last year, TransLink announced major upgrades to this, the fourth busiest station in the network, saying they were necessary. The ambitious plan meant closing the station for two years so crews could double the number of escalators, relocate the entrance and upgrade the power supply and mechanical systems. The budget? $72 million. Now, TransLink won't provide details on the construction bids, but says they greatly exceeded the budget. The, the, the station is a busy one. Um, I think we also need to recognize that, that ridership on the public transit system has changed quite a bit. But the crowding conditions that we were seeing at Perard Station, particularly in those very uh, busy morning and evening rush, uh, haven't returned. And so it's, it's that information that we're also looking at to make some decisions about next steps for the station. TransLink says supply chain issues and the pandemic contributed to the ballooning construction costs. Engineers will now figure out what they can accomplish within the original $72 million budget. Some of us don't need to be told that allergy season is in full swing, and the overlap between cold and flu season can make it hard to distinguish between the two. On top of that, climate change is making allergy season, allergy season that is, I almost sneezed, is even worse. Senior meteorologist Christy Gordon explains why. So studies have shown that carbon dioxide stimulates plant growth. So as carbon dioxide in our atmosphere increases, so will pollen concentrations. And to make matters worse, warmer temperatures are causing the allergy season to arrive earlier and last longer. Data from Washington State show an increase of 17 and 25 days. But allergy and virus symptoms are so similar. So how can you tell them apart? Both can have congestion of your nose. Both can cause you a runny nose. Both can cause you to sneeze. Cold 
and influenza, COVID, more likely to have things like a fever, sore throat, body aches, and usually that'll get better in a few days. But you don't, ex- you shouldn't expect a cold symptom to keep lasting um, for weeks on end. And if you do have allergies, Dr. Narang says to first identify the trigger or allergen by getting tested by a board-certified allergy physician. Next, develop a strategy to avoid those allergens. You can get access to air conditioning, keep windows and doors closed at home, and avoid the outdoors on dry, windy, and hot days. You can even consider using a mask if your symptoms are in your chest or sinus. If your symptoms are still significant, Dr. Narang recommends a non-drowsy antihistamine, specifically the long-lasting ones, 24 hours. These are second-generation antihistamines that actually target your body and not your brain, and they won't keep you up at night. Christy Gordon, Global News. Sounds good. The WHO rejects approval for the only Canadian-made COVID-19 vaccine. Why it's no surprise next. Plus, what it took to save a sea lion with a packing strap embedded around its neck. And tragedy at a Florida theme park when a child falls from a drop ride. Those stories next. Steady traffic here in both directions at the Alex Fraser Bridge tonight. Just a reminder that overnight maintenance causes some southbound lane closures between 9 p.m. and 5 a.m. Through a new charitable partnership between Kermat Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermat Collision and Auto Glass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. And we have more on that breaking news out of Coquitlam, a shooting that sent Amanda Hospital. This video into our newsroom showing a blast and a ball of fire as a vehicle exploded in Port Moody. Coquitlam RCMP say a vehicle fire was reported in the 2200 block of Hope Street in Port Moody, connected to the shooting of a man in the 1600 block of Chickadee Place in Coquitlam. Police say the man, who is known to them, was rushed to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. RCMP add it has the indications of a targeted attack that's connected to the Lower Mainland gang conflict. Police say they're still working to gather evidence in the case in order to identify suspects. The integrated homicide investigation team has taken over a case in Surrey where a man's body was located in Newton. Calls to RCMP came in just before 8 o'clock Friday morning of a man sleeping in an alley near 64th Avenue and 130th Street. Upon arrival, officers determined the man was dead and the circumstances were suspicious. Surrey RCMP secured the crime scene and IHIT is now in charge. This case does not appear to be related to any of the others in Surrey in the past few days. A horrifying scene at a popular Florida tourist attraction. A teenager has died while on a ride, the drop ride at the Orlando's Icon Park. Well, now an investigation is underway to try to figure out how it could have happened. Again, our hearts are broken for that family of the young men. And uh, again, we're going to do everything we can to work with the investigative authorities to get to the matter of this. John Stein with the Slingshot Group, which owns and operates the Orlando Freefall Ride here at Icon Park, says the company is fully cooperating with investigators after Orange County deputies say a 14-year-old boy fell off the ride last night. Video posted on social media that's just too graphic to show on TV shows the teen coming out of his seat as the ride was coming down from nearly 400 feet in the air. He later died at the hospital. 
Well, there's nothing else we can share at this point. Everything is under investigation at this time. Jaden Patterson told us he was out here last night before the tragedy happened. He's been on the ride a few times since it opened in December. It was like, it was not really a seatbelt, you know. I, I, I noticed that when I was on the ride and stuff like that. But it will make sure like it's secure and stuff. Christian Casabon is visiting from Chile and told us he noticed at least one seat on the attraction was covered with a black trash bag before everything occurred. It caught my attention because this is a new ride and the safety this attraction should have. There was one or two seats that were not operational. A major rescue to help a stellar sea lion found in distress today. Adult female stellar sea lion was spotted on a buoy at West Shore Terminal at Delta Port. She had a plastic packing strap entangled around her neck. Members of the Vancouver Aquarium Marine Mammal Rescue Centre, along with the Department of Ocean, Fisheries and Oceans, responded. The team cut off the embedded strap, cleaned the wound and treated the animal with antibiotics. Aquarium officials say the sea lion had likely been suffering for months and would have died had they not intervened. She looked to be responding well as she swam away. The first made-in-Canada COVID-19 vaccine has been rejected by the World Health Organization due to its ties to the tobacco industry. It's already approved by Health Canada, but the decision will impact other countries' access to it, something critics say shouldn't happen. Jamie Morocker explains. Quebec-based Metacago's Covifens is a point of Canadian pride. It's the first homegrown COVID-19 vaccine to be approved by Health Canada and the first plant-derived vaccine to hit the market ever. But now it's facing a disappointing rejection by the WHO, which warned this would happen. It's well known that WHO and UN has a very strict policy regarding the, the uh, engagement with tobacco and arms industry. Metacago is partially owned by the world's largest tobacco company, Philip Morris International. Metacago says it's been trying to distance itself since July of 2020. Takashi Negao, Metacago's president and CEO, said in a statement the company is aware the vaccine status is not accepted and that the decision was linked to its minority shareholder, not as a result of Covifens' safety or efficacy. Metacago is still waiting on details and rationale before taking next steps. Canada has a deal for 76 million doses of Covifens. It planned to donate many of them to the global vaccine sharing program known as COVAX. The rejection by the WHO will make donations difficult. Bioethicist Carrie Bowman says the need to make vaccines available to those who haven't yet received them should outweigh any ethics issues the WHO has with Medicago's ties to the tobacco giant. One of the challenges, particularly for low-income countries, it's not just supply anymore, it's infrastructure and it's vaccine hesitancy. We need every single tool we can get. And this is a very good vaccine, um, and it's got a lot of benefits, particularly for some, not all, but people that are vaccine hesitant. Canada has promised 200 million doses to COVAX. So far, just 37 million have been donated. The federal government says it's working with Medicago to come up with a solution. In Canada, Covifens is approved for ages 18 to 64. Jamie Morocco, Global News, Toronto. Some things you have to see to believe. I don't know that I've ever seen, you know, them a goat ride a horse. The unusual friendship on a farm in the West Kootenai, next. And the Canucks unveil a new Indigenous design jersey.
It sounds like the plot of a children's book about an unlikely friendship. A goat and a horse meet at a West Kootenai farm and become the talk of the province for their unique uh, symbiotic relationship. Andrea McPherson has more. It's a day in the life of Aret the goat and Bouge the horse. What you're seeing is not a one-time deal. This is how the unlikely pair spends most of its time together on a farm in the West Kootenai. The relationship started a few months ago and caused the owner to do a double take. I looked outside down into the horse pen and Arette was on Bouge's back and uh, just standing there really just hanging out. And I, I was like, oh my goodness, I wish I had my phone on me. This would be, you know, such a great photo. And so once in a lifetime kind of thing, it's not going to happen again. Turns out there would be several more opportunities to catch these two in action. Some days I'll watch him out there for hours and other days, you know, he's off doing his own thing. So it really depends on, you know, the energy of the day and, and just how everyone's getting along that day. It's quite interesting to see the different relationships that, uh, you know, animals naturally form on the, on the farm together. And interesting to see how these animals live up to their names. Arrête means stop in French. Bouge means move, something he obviously enjoys complying with. The relationship, we're told, is mutually beneficial. Arrête is now tall enough to reach food from the higher branches. And Bouge, well, he gets a relaxing hoof massage for all of his troubles. The peculiar relationship also attracting a ton of attention and plenty of smiles online on the farm's Instagram page. Yeah, I do this, but I also do this. And I love doing this, but I also love doing this. And I also do this, this, and this is my favorite. I don't know that I've ever seen a goat ride a horse or them spend as much time together as I often see these two. But, uh, you know, they've been known to share, share hay or share the field. Andrea McPherson, Global News. So adorable. All right, let's check in with Christy for a look at that weather forecast. Christy. Colleen, it remained dry all day, thankfully, but it just started to rain. So I had to put up my umbrella quickly here. And yes, it means wet weather for the weekend. Unfortunately, it has been a tough go this spring break. We were lucky to get two dry days out of it, though, that's for sure. Here's a look at how much rainfall we'll see overnight and through the early part of the day tomorrow. It's not a soaker. West coast of Vancouver Island, 10 to 15 for our region, up to about 10. So again, it's not a soaker, but nonetheless, rainfall pushing in. And don't forget, we're we're heading towards the end of spring break, not for all areas in the province, but for some. So if you're traveling, we still have snow in the mountain passes. It will be a mix of rain and snow likely at night and through the early morning hours. But if you're uh, heading anywhere where there's a summit, like the uh, connector, for example, you can still expect snow there in the uh, afternoons. Tomorrow morning rainfall for our region, I am expecting it to lighten up in the afternoon. But we're not expecting much breaks of blue sky or anything. We could, but not much. Uh, we still do have a chance of showers. And then another system is going to drive in on Sunday. So Sunday's system looks like it could be just north of Metro Vancouver. I'm keeping my fingers crossed. But overall, we are st st certainly looking at wet weather. So far north, sunshine for your Saturday. Wet across the north and central coast. Areas in through the south, a chance of flurries changing over to showers. And the breaks of blue sky will likely be in the afternoon. 
Not much in terms of a break for the south coast, although, again, it's not a soaker. Highs of about 11 degrees. And again, on Sunday, we're expecting periods of rain, but hopefully the majority of that will shift north of our area. Best chance of sunshine, in fact, is when the kids head back to school on Monday. Here's a look at tonight's central windows weather window, which comes to you from Cloverdale. Brent and Marlene shared this one, and I love this shot. Nice close-up shot of the uh, sort of a cherry or it could be a plum blossom, but with the sunshine in the background there. Colleen. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thanks so much, Christy. Uh, Squire, uh, I know when it's spring, other than the fact that we're sneezing. Um, it's when I get my winter tires taken off my car, and that happens next week. Oh. I usually just know it when my nose starts running in a disturbing way. Yeah, which happened about a month ago for you. Yes, it did. Uh, listen, the Vancouver Canucks have unveiled their latest specialty jersey. The jersey is designed by Musqueam artist Chase Gray and was inspired by traditional Coast Salish art. The Canucks say the color of the jersey, along with the Every Child Matters shoulder patch, honors Indigenous children who were victims and survivors of residential schools and acknowledges the journey towards truth and reconciliation. The Canucks will wear it during the warm-up on Wednesday, March 30th, when they play the St. Louis Blues. Those are beautiful. All the ones they've done this year have looked great. Yeah. And they've done them for different special occasions, and I think that's such a cool idea. It is. Do it every year. Very smart. And it'd be cool to have different artists do it every year and get all these different yeah. looks. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Collect them. Okay. Speaking of the Canucks, they have a big game in Dallas tomorrow, but they have taken three of a possible four points, which is pretty good on this road trip so far. If you want to be an occupier and then play in the playoffs, you got to embrace these type of moments, embrace these type of games. And in the last six games, Bo Horvat has embraced. He has scored five goals. He has definitely stepped up his game. And it's Friday, Squire, so you have this week's edition of Satellite Debris. I'm looking forward to it. Stay with us. Just before we get to Squire, the Oilers say they're inspired by a brave little guest at last night's game. Ben is a huge Oilers fan who's been bravely, bravely battling brain cancer. Last night, he had a dream come true when he joined the team on the ice for the national anthem. Ben's dad says even though he's tired today after a late night, his son is on cloud nine. And it's not just Ben who's feeling inspired. Ben's a special kid, and, and uh, we just wanted to make sure that, that he knew we were, we were there for him and, and his family as well. Um, so yeah, no, he's, he's an inspiration for sure. And, uh, and yeah, like you said, we got a really good group of guys here. So there are things that go beyond hockey. And, and I know, uh, if you ask any one of us in, in the room, we were, we were more than happy to, to make his night. Oh, a little cutie. In addition to meeting his favorite players, Ben was also given an autographed stick. Oh, we wish nothing but the best for Ben. Going to pull through. That is great. It was a long ovation too he got. Very long ovation when he got on the ice there. Thanks, sweetie. Okay, so um, Canada's men's soccer team did not qualify for the World Cup last night. They lost one nothing down in Costa Rica. Well, they were down to 10 men early in the first half or sort of midway through the first half. So, not fun that they lost. However, that's not a bad thing because now Canada can clinch a spot in the home and native land. They played Jamaica at BMO Field in Toronto Sunday afternoon. The only thing that would have been better than that is if the game was at BC Place. Then it would have been even better. But all Canada needs in this game is a draw. We are favored to win it, though. Jamaica does not have a very good team this time around. 
And uh, for the players, winning it at home, or at least making the World Cup at home, would be the best way to get a seat at the big table. Yeah, yeah, going home and, and needing just that one, one point uh, in front of our fans. Um, maybe it's the way it was meant to be. So it's, it's full focus for that game and just making sure we do everything right, all our preparations like we always do, and uh, yeah, hopefully we get it done. When you're four points out of a playoff spot like the Vancouver Canucks are, every game is the most important game of the year, and the next game is even more important. Vancouver's next game is tomorrow in Dallas, and this is huge because it's the Stars who hold that last playoff spot in the West, and they have played three less games than the Canucks, so a Vancouver loss would be very damaging. But the Canucks so far in this road trip have gotten three out of four points against Colorado and Minnesota. So the one thing about the Canucks, they're not going away quietly. It was two tough games, two tough teams, and, and you know, we've got a day to recuperate before we could play another tough team. So we'll take the three points. It keeps us in the race, and as long as we're in the race, we've got a shot. So that's all we want right now. If you want to be a hockey player and then play in the playoffs, you got to embrace these type of moments, embrace these type of games. And, you know, this part of the year, or, you know, you're going to get, uh, you're going to get smacked around or, you know, you're going to, you're going to lose games. So the other guys have to step up. And, and for me, I want to be one of those uh, reasons why we get in the playoffs. Every CFL team must have 21 Canadians on the roster. And a number of those Canadians are usually on the offensive line blocking for an American quarterback. But this season, the BC Lions offensive line will be protecting Canadians. One Canadian quarterback on a CFL roster is a rarity. Having two of them is downright historic. CFL Stats says it's never happened before. But the Lions will go into training camp with Nathan Rourke as their number one and Michael O'Connor fighting for the backup spot. Both are eager to tout the red and white while wearing the orange and black. Obviously been very proud to be Canadian for a long time and then to be able to represent Canada at my position has been great. And then, you know, getting to know Mike and everything and, you know, following his journey as well, you kind of see, uh, it's, it, you kind of see things come full circle and it's really cool to be in the same situation as him and, and uh, we hope to do our best we can to represent the, the country and for Canadian quarterbacks in the future. If I can be an inspiration to the next generation, I'd love to do that. BC Lions knocking on the door for the five. Works going to keep it, takes it to the end zone. But in order to make this a Canadian success story, both need to prove their worth on the field. The Lions have all of the confidence in the world that Rourke is ready to be a starter, even though he won't turn 24 until training camp starts in May. He's got all the tools, strong arm, football IQ, the ability to run, and of course, his first year as a pro, watching and learning from Michael Riley. Just, you know, the routines, you know, the, how he manages his time throughout the year. Um, he's got a very set routine and he's got, you know, every single week, this is what he needs to watch on film. This is what he needs to do physically for his body. This is when he's getting to the facility. This is when he's leaving. Like, all that stuff as a young guy coming in and see a guy who's already got an established routine. That's really valuable. And O'Connor looking to the end zone to spin. Touchdown! O'Connor has designs on the backup role. The former Vanier Cup champ with the UBC Thunderbirds has played two CFL seasons, one with the Argos, one with the Stamps. He hasn't played much, but he's ready to take that next step and give the Lions that 1-2 Canadian punch behind center. You need a QB room 
that it's all working together towards the same goal to be successful in this league. So uh, regardless of what my role is, I'll do everything. Like I said, I'll do everything I can, you know, to, to help Nathan out and, and uh, you know, just how can we win a game. But at the same time, if, if uh, my number gets called, I'll be ready too. Well, at least we know they'll be able to throw in the rain. Uh, Women's World Cup make that Women's World Curling Championship in, up in Prince George. And uh, Canada's Kerry Einers with a great shot here. Have you got it? Oh, two for Anderson. Another win for Canada. So good. Eight to five over Germany. Canada's record is now eight and three. And match play goal from Austin, Texas. Speaking of Canadians, Corey Connors birding the 13th hole to go three up on Sweden's Alex Noren. 16th hole has a chance to finish this off. Kind of flying high over on the right. Another birdie putt. And he does win it three and two, so he advances to the playoffs tomorrow where he'll meet uh, Takumi Kanaya of Japan. There you go. Thank you. I was just captivated by all that sunshine. Stay right where you are. Squire has satellite debris next. Squire, what do you got this week? Okay, we, uh, in our first uh, segment here, we have uh, Selma Hayek selling milk, and we also have a new commercial from Progressive featuring Dr. Rick who talks to uh, people who are turning into their parents. Okay, this is a freezer, not a time capsule. Sometimes the house itself can tell you how a young homeowner is turning into their parents. Not those two. Yep, they're gone. Forever? Yep. That there is Progressive's Home Quote Explorer website where I compared home insurance rates. We don't need to print the internet. Some are beyond help. I will give you $100 if you can tell me what this is. Scotch egg. It's a meatball. Progressive can't help you from becoming your parents, but we can help you compare rates on home insurance with Home Quote Explorer. We've got a lot of work to do. in the world all the hair people in the world cannot make her look bad and i bet you she goes to the local mini mart and gets her own milk too i bet i bet she she does actually she probably does i bet she does um okay so they always say that'll happen when pigs can fly what about when ostriches can fly Ooh.
you pack my bags last night Pre-flight Zero hour, 9 a.m. And I'm gonna be high As a kite by then Great soundtrack. It was a great soundtrack, wasn't it? Okay, so from ostriches to cute kittens. Good morning, class. Today we'll be covering the early dynastic period of Egyptian history. As this hieroglyph here clearly shows, humans used to worship cats. These days, things are very different. Now it is people who are in charge. We no longer do the bidding of cats, mindlessly serving them. Now what we say goes. after I introduced that, that I foolishly said, and now some cute kittens. Have you ever seen kittens that weren't cute? That weren't cute? Redundant. Oh, redundant. Exactly. Redundant. Yeah. Okay. Christy, one last <laughs> look at the weather forecast. Sure. So the rain is starting to move in. We will see it overnight and through much of the day tomorrow. So if you get a dry patch over the weekend, get out there right away because there won't be a lot of them. Thank you. Have a great night, everybody. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.